Thanks so much, Paul. Good morning. 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 Yeah, so uh, I'm Jasmine. I'm a uh, chaplain here, community chaplain here at Greenbelt. So I get to hang out with our ESL students, which is such an honor. Do we have anybody from ESL here today or who has uh, benefited from the ESL uh, training? Once in a while we do. It's, uh, it's so awesome to have them join us online as well. I know you guys, uh, some of you guys are online watching. So yes, we're in the middle of this series on Revelation, which is sometimes a bit of a cryptic book. It can be hard to understand, which is why going through it together is so good so we can get on track with each other going, ah, we see what God is doing and we want to take part in it. So before we get into Revelation chapter 12 this morning, and you can open up to it uh, in your Bibles, there's Bibles at the back if you want to grab one. You can actually take it home with you or give it away to somebody. Please go ahead. Uh, But that's there for you. Revelation chapter 12. So this is the stage of what's happening as John the Apostle writes this book. He is the last of Jesus' apostles still alive. And the state has actually, the state, the Roman um, Empire has actually exiled him to a isolated island. Tradition says they tried to execute him and he didn't even not die. He didn't even get hurt. So they just kind of put him away off in the corner and like, geez, whatever you are, just please stay over there. God was working powerfully in his life. So he's off in this isolated island. But the problem was he was a pastor and he was a pastor of probably a region of churches, and he's not present for them where they are. We don't have, I mean, we have in our time internet, we have a network, we have connections, we have texting. They had nothing. It was like silence from their pastor. You can imagine how they're feeling as their pastor's taken away from them, and they might be feeling really worried, anxious, discouraged about what's going to happen. How are we going to survive? They're in the Roman Empire. This is maybe the 90s AD, and they're undergoing really intense persecution. So not having their pastor that they were so used to having present with them is making it really, really hard. So imagine how it feels when a letter shows up from their pastor I mean, okay, do we have any youth in the congregation? Yeah, I see you. Yeah, George. (laughs) 11 to 18 years old. So our youth actually sit in the service with us, which is so awesome. I mean, imagine if you guys, one of your youth, were you trust them and you let them stay at home alone and you go away for a little while. Youth, your parents are away for a little while. And a crisis happens And you don't have them there. Now you're going to find help elsewhere. I mean, we're going to find out where the help is coming for the church here. But it's just that initial, oh my goodness, what do I do? How do I get through this? So this letter shows up from John. And imagine how much they're craving the encouragement. This letter shows up. And at least seven cities are involved in this with little house churches, possibly hundreds of house churches. And those people are so craving this encouragement. So they're going to open up the scroll and read it. Hallelujah. Come on up. Hallelujah is one of our youth. He's going to read Revelation chapter 12 for us. And hallelujah, I'm just going to pray for you before you start, okay? And then I'll get you the mic. Okay. So Father, as we read this, make us come face to face with Jesus. 
make us encounter him and never stay the same. Amen. Let me grab the mic. All right, there you go. The woman and the dragon. A great and wondrous sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of twelve stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his head. His tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that he might devour her child the moment it was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and his throne. The woman fled into the desert to a place prepared for her by God, where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The, dr- the great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth, and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power of the king and the kingdom of our God, and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers, who accuses them before our God days and nights, has been hurled down. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony. They did not, they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down with you. He is filled with fury, because he knows that his time is short. When the dragon saw what he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. The woman was given two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the desert where she would be taken care of for a time, times and half a time. Out of the serpent's reach, then from his mouth, the serpent spewed water like river to overtake the woman and swept her away with the torrents. But the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that the dragon had spewed out of its mouth. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to make war against the rest of her offspring, those who obey God's commands and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And the dragon stood on the shore of the sea. This is the word of the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you so much. That was awesome. All right. Intense passage or what? It's super intense. All right. So as we dig into this, we're going to see that there's a short story being told. And then that 
short story gets retold and we zoom in first on the dragon and then we zoom in on the woman. And we're going to hear this main message through the whole thing. Winning looks different than you'd think. Winning looks different than you'd think because we're going to see two things. The first one is that the threat has already been overcome. And number two, we don't need to be humanly strong to win. Let's do this. Okay, does anyone like hearing secrets? And I mean good secrets like, oh, there's a surprise party or shower or I don't know why the sky is blue. I like learning that kind of stuff. But anyone like learning, like just understanding, gaining, and you can actually put your hand up. Learning and understanding what you don't understand before. There's a relief associated. Yeah, like when you understand, oh, learning a secret is to be relieved of the confusion of like, what, what, what's going on? In John's time, people undergoing, the church undergoing this persecution, they're, they're confused. Like, why is life so hard following Jesus? I had this amazing experience of coming to Jesus and my sin being forgiven. And then all of a sudden life just gets harder. Why is that? In our time, don't we have a lot of confusing stuff happening? And there's that craving to understand what on earth is going on. We have war in Europe. We have corporate scandals. We have political scandals. We have Christian ministry scandals. It's all over the place. Why is life such a struggle? Why is everything so hard? What's really going on? And it turns out that we, when we learn about what's really going on, it actually helps us persevere because we go ah i get what's going on i see what it takes to win that's where we're going with this passage it's what revelation in general offers and this passage gives us is that it pulls back the curtain to show us this is what's really going on so that you know how to win Okay, so we have three characters in Revelation 12. We have the woman, the child, and the dragon. The images themselves, we're going to be able to figure out exactly who they are because the rest of the Bible gives us all the clues needed to find out who John is talking about, who Jesus is revealing to John in this vision that John is having. And as we understand who the woman and the child and the dragon are, we get to realize more about reality, what's really going on, and who Jesus really is. And the purpose of learning this is, number one, so that we can be encouraged, literally to have courage put into us, to be released from the fear so that we can act courageously. Who needs more courage? This is participation. And I mean, like, yes, everybody needs courage. I want some more. Number two, this passage is intended to kick us out of spiritual complacency. We are not meant to read this passage and go, oh, that was nice. A weird story. I'm just going to leave that one. It's meant to actually propel us into action. So we're understanding what reality is, and it's going to send us off in a direction. So in chapter 11, Kevin preached on this two weeks ago before uh, the week before Easter. And chapter 11 ends with an earth-shattering event. The temple in heaven is open. And John sees into the temple and sees the symbols of the presence of God. 
And we had just read a whole bunch of chapters of judgment and really intense stuff. And so as we read that, we could go, oh, all of our troubles are over. We're done. We live happily ever after, and it's good. But that's not what happens. Chapter 12 dives back into hard stuff. And in fact, the rest of Revelation, all the way till chapter 20, when things finally start to get resolved, we're sitting in this hard stuff. And the reason is we need to know more about reality so that we know how to win. So chapter 12 starts out with a glorious woman. She's about to give birth, which is about the least glorious feeling thing that a woman can go through. But it's totally worth it. It's totally worth it. Okay. In the Old Testament, birth pain was the symbol of the curse. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, God says, this is the consequence of your sin. And one of the consequences is this pain in childbirth. But it's also a symbol of the fact that there's new life still coming into our reality on a world caught in a death spiral. Like, isn't it amazing? Life still keeps happening. New life. So John had just seen God's presence in heaven. And then we have this contrast of a woman in labor. And it's, it's making us realize this is the reality of the curse. God's presence up there, us not fully experiencing the, the everything about his fullness, his full presence here. Does that make sense? There's a contrast happening. There's more contrast coming too. So we read then about this fiery red dragon. He's got seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems or crowns on his head. And he drags a third of the stars out of heaven and he throws them to earth. So we were seeing things in heaven and now we're seeing things on earth. What was happening in heaven is actually affecting what's on earth now. And the dragon as a whole represents a kind of power, evil, uh, a strength that is not safe. And so there's this strong dragon and there's this very, very vulnerable woman. Another contrast. Now, I bless the women here who are going to have babies. There's going to be safety in your labor, safety in the room, the place that you are. Just know that this is, a, this is different than what this woman is experiencing. Okay? So just in reading about this woman's experience, this is not every woman has to go through this. This is a particular woman who represents something. And we're going to figure that out. So the dragon stands in front of the child, uh, in front of the woman to devour her child as soon as it's born. And we must think that this is the end of the story because, well, I mean, what hope does she have, right? But the child is born and he has this awe-inspiring future ahead of him, which is really exciting. His future is full of strength to rule all nations with a rod of iron. So this vulnerable child, again, contrasts this dragon that appears to have power. And then it skips the child's whole life story in one sentence. But the whole story actually revolves around the child. And we know exactly who this child is. It's not a symbol. This is Jesus. Very, very clear as we read rod of iron caught up to God in his throne. We've already read this story earlier in the Bible. So at first glance, we say, oh, this is Mary, because she gives birth to Jesus, and 
then he ascends to heaven at the end of his ministry. But these images are layered. So the woman points to multiple things. Yes, Mary. And the Catholic Church takes the image of the sun and the moon and the stars as images of Mary. But those, those actually represent something other than Mary. In the Old Testament, there was a guy who had a dream about the sun, the moon, and 12 stars. And that dream was to represent the family of Israel. So here we have Mary as represented by this woman. We also have the family of Israel as represented by this woman, which is a very contrary thing because in the Old Testament, sorry, in the, in the Bible, in the ancient world, it was usually men who represented the family or whatever. So we have a bit of a reversal happening here. So the family of Israel is the, the, Family in which God uses to bring forth the Messiah, who's going to bring salvation to the whole world. And then we read in verse 6 that the dragon is suddenly able to make a move. It looks like the dragon's making a move because the woman flees. So she's still vulnerable. And it's like Mary fleeing with baby Jesus or young toddler Jesus to Egypt when King Herod is after them to try to kill Jesus. Or it's like Israel fleeing from slavery in Egypt. But in both these cases, Mary and Israel are fleeing with their sons. When they were escaping from Egypt, the firstborn sons had been saved from death. So as we look at this woman here and we're like, wait, 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 her son's caught up to heaven and she's fleeing without her son. So who is she? There must be something more to this. We're going to keep reading to get to that third layer of who this woman is. So the woman flees out into the wilderness and she has a place prepared by God and she's fed for 1,260 days, which just so happens to be three and a half years. So what are the big symbolic numbers that have been showing up in Revelation? You can type them in the chat online or show them out right now. Symbolic numbers in Revelation that we've been hearing. Seven? Seven? Six, six, six. They'll come later. Yeah. Anything else? Twelve. Yeah. And three and ten. Yeah, we've got a bunch of numbers happening. These numbers all symbolize things. Seven so happens to be connected to this because three and a half is half of seven. So the woman doesn't get devoured by the dragon, but is she just going to rot in the desert? It turns out that her fleeing and hiding and being nourished in the wilderness is only half the story. I mean, do you ever read a book and something horrific happens and you look at how much of the book is left and you're like, oh, good, there's enough time for the resolution to happen. That's what's happening here. Three and a half. God completes his work in seven. He's only halfway done. Okay, so we can relax. The woman is the woman is going to be safe. And then verse seven, war broke out in heaven. Okay, so this is where this gets messy, and it's going to stay kind of messy for the rest of Revelation until we get to chapter 20. If we're talking about war, I mean, think about life in general. We talk about life in terms of war a lot. We love the peaceful stuff and the vacation and the holidays and whatever, but there's a lot of war language. When we read this, and we read about war, it makes sense to deal with reality with this image of war, because that's a lot of what we can relate to. So in verse 7, this is where the story starts to get retold. We 
Back up, rewind to the beginning of chapter 12, and we see the image of the dragon now in, in more focus. So if I summarize uh, verses 7 to 10, the dragon gets cast out or hurled out, cast down, cast out, cast down. So even though we're zooming in on the dragon, what do we know about the dragon? Audience participation, welcomed. <laughs> Somebody's typing it in the chat right now, I'm sure. So what do we know about the dragon? What's that? Somebody yell it. He has seven heads. He's big, he's strong, and he's been cast out. He's not allowed to be in heaven anymore. Uh, in heaven anymore. So the focus is not on the dragon. It's on what's happened to the dragon. And the dragon is a deceiver. And he's on earth, and he's deceiving on earth. So it means that in heaven, he's not deceiving. And it makes heaven kind of like, oh, I'd love to be there because there's no deceit there. But here on earth, it seems kind of crummy now because this, this dragon and, and all of his stars that have been cast down to the earth are all influencing earth. Why would I want to be on earth? So remember the center of the story. The child is born. The child is born on earth. Keep that in mind as we keep going, okay? So we're still figuring out who the full picture of the woman is, but we're told so clearly who the dragon is. He's Satan, the devil, the deceiver, and eventually we're told he's the accuser. And the stars in heaven are his angels. Now, angel, the word angel does not actually mean a glowy spiritual thing with a halo and uh, 12, well, sorry, um, a halo and flowing hair. I'm just thinking of the picture that you've seen sometimes in uh, ancient, or I would say like medieval art, if you guys have ever seen angels, halo or some kind of glow around the head, long flowing robe and wings. That's not what the word angel means. Angel means messenger. And God has messengers and they're trustworthy. Satan has messengers and they are operating out of deceit. And we learn that not to be afraid. Oh, no. Because all of this is supposed to encourage us and propel us into action. So we have to know the dragon has been cast out. His angels have been cast out. And in verse 10, now that Satan's been cast out, a song breaks out in heaven. The dragon is deceiving, but salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ are here on earth. That's what comes with a child. So even though the dragon's here, there's something bigger and better and stronger at work here too. So is there any hope of the dragon winning? Like there's no hope for him whatsoever. For us, the encouragement is the threat has already been overcome. We're reading the story about a threatening figure, but he's already been overcome. So in verse 11, we start hearing about they. They overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Jesus, the lamb, is born. He died on the cross. He's buried. He's in the grave for three days, and then he comes back on Easter. That's what we celebrated last Sunday. So we celebrate every single Sunday because it's the first day of the week, which is the day that Jesus rose from the dead. So then verse 10, where it's talking about they overcame. Sorry, verse 11, they overcame. In verse 10, it mentioned the brethren. That's who's overcoming. The brothers and sisters in Christ. Strangers, total strangers who are turned into family by knowing Jesus. 
You are brothers and sisters if you believe that Jesus died and was buried and rose again. If you're convinced that he lived a sinless life and was executed a totally innocent man and that he overcame death by rising out of it, if you're convinced that his life and death and resurrection is powerfully meaning for you personally, if you're convinced that you do sin and that you need help to get out of sin and to get out of the sins against you from others, if you're convinced that Jesus' death paid for that sin and that his resurrection means that you have new life, then you're a sister and brother in Christ. If you feel the Holy Spirit stirring and you want to be convinced of this, step across the line. Step across the line and make that clear choice. Jesus, I need you. This is a prayer that you just pray inside quietly. Jesus, I need you. I can't get out of my sin alone. I need you. I accept your death to pay for my sin and your resurrection and the Holy Spirit in me to give me power for new life in my own life. If you make that choice today, if you pray that and talk to God very specifically saying, I cross that line. Online, there's a little pop-up that shows up and it says, I, I accept Jesus or something of that sort. You click on that and it gives us a chance to actually rejoice with you. If somebody in this room is making this choice for the first time, let somebody you trust know or come talk to me after and let us know. We want to rejoice with you. Now, if you are a sister or brother in Christ, you are they who overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. The word overcome is a war word. It means conquer. But did the brethren or brothers and sisters do anything to win that war? No, there's nothing that we do. So heaven waged war on our behalf. We read about that earlier. The blood of Jesus, the child, is shed on earth at the cross. And we overcome simply by saying, the war has been won on my behalf. The bloodshed has already happened. And now I win. Normally a war of the dead stay dead, and that's tragic. But Jesus didn't stay dead, and neither will we. This is a totally different kind of war that we're, we're waging. So in verse 10, it talks about the, bre- uh, sorry, the accuser. The accuser accuses us of sinning, but if our sins are paid for, what's left to accuse us of? Yeah, nothing. How's that feel for freedom? We are made to feel guilty by the accuser because there is sin that needs to be dealt with. And as we hear the accuser, and we know the accuser speaks to everybody because the dragon is working over the whole earth. When the dragon is at work, accusing makes us feel guilty and ashamed. But we're not meant to stay there. We're actually meant to say, ah, I see the reality. The dragon is accusing me. What we're going to do right now is actually give us a moment 
to just let the Holy Spirit work and clean that accusation off of us. So what I invite you to do is just close your eyes and really close your eyes because I'm not going to do anything interesting up here. And just sit quietly for a moment and I'm going to pray. Just let the Holy Spirit work and bring things up. And Holy Spirit, I invite you right now to fill all this space in the congregation and online. Jesus, your blood is the power that sets us free. So make us free. Silence the accuser. Holy Spirit, you know the accusations that each one of us is experiencing. And those accusations, we don't have to push them aside or try to hide from them anymore. We can simply stand in front of you, Jesus, and say, this is what the accuser is saying to me. Jesus, I don't want it. When it's my sin, I repent. I don't want to do it anymore. Forgive me, God. And set me free. When it's a lie, Jesus, show me what the truth is. I am a child of God. I belong to God. Jesus, thank you for overcoming the threat. If the Holy Spirit is doing something, don't open your eyes. Just stick with what he's doing there, okay? And Holy Spirit, just keep working as we keep reading in this passage. We read about the word of their testimony, the truth of their story and the experience of Jesus working. We overcome because Jesus is real and his power is real and we have proof, our own experience. We need to be convinced of Jesus' power over and over and over and over again. We need each other's stories, testimonies of his power. It's real. We need to keep hearing them, and we need to keep inviting it into our own life. Let me pray over this as well, okay? So if your eyes are closed, keep them closed. If your eyes are open, close them again, because we're just going to keep inviting the Holy Spirit to work in this. Jesus, keep giving us testimony. Don't stop adding to it. We don't even know the fullness of reality until we experience you at work. Jesus, cancel the dragon's deception. Render it powerless in our midst. Thank you for overcoming the threat. Holy Spirit, just keep working as we keep reading. As the Holy Spirit's working, don't open your eyes, just uh, stick with what he's doing. So in verse 11, it says they did not love their lives to the death. Let's look back at that picture of the woman. She's in labor and the dragon's coming after her. And from a human perspective, the woman has two choices. Either she can defend herself, which means that she acts out of fear, And when a woman in labor acts out of fear, she actually shuts labor down so that she can run or, you know, whatever else. So if she doesn't give birth, 
she and the baby in the ancient world would die. They don't have the luxuries that we have now. So that's her first choice, defend herself and still die. Second, give birth. And then what, I mean, what else is going to happen? We expect the dragon to chase her or the child or both. So in either case, there's actually death at the end of both choices. But what happens is the woman chooses to give birth and then God starts doing stuff to take care of her. She acts unafraid of the dragon. Let's see what happens in verses 13 and 14 as it zooms in on the woman now. So the dragon sees that he's been cast to the earth and he persecutes the woman who gave birth to the male child. The woman is given the wings of an eagle. She flies into the wilderness. She's nourished for a time and times and half a time, which is another way of saying three and a half. And she's kept out of the presence of the serpent. So let me read to you a passage from First uh, Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. It says, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. As God is faithful, he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. In this first Corinthians passage, God provides the escape to believers. The woman is the church believers. God's providing her escape. The escape is from sin, from being deceived by the dragon. Sin is to be devoured, be deceived into thinking that something is good when it's really a horrible idea. And God gives escape to those who have called upon Jesus to save them. This is reality being revealed. And we learn that that second point, we don't need to be humanly strong to win. That's what this woman represents. The church. The church is not intended to be humanly strong. In verse 15, we read that the serpent spews water out of his mouth like a flood so that he can cause her to be carried away. Let me read this from Psalm 124, 1 to 4. So chapter 124, verses 1 to 4. If the Lord had not been on our side, let Israel say, if the Lord had not been on our side when people attacked us, they would have swallowed us alive. When their anger flared against us, the flood would have engulfed us, the torrent would have swept over us. Tells us exactly what we need to know about what this dragon is doing. It's persecution. It's exactly what had been mentioned in verse 13. The dragon persecutes the woman. He sends this torrent to try to drown her in persecution. And then what does God do? Well, in verse 16, we read the earth opens its mouth and swallows up the flood. Creation itself is on the woman's side and absorbs the persecution. I cannot actually tell you exactly what this means for our current context. It is such a crazy picture. All I know is this is something that the Holy Spirit has to stick with you and show you. What does it look like for creation itself to absorb persecution on our behalf? I will let you talk about that one in life group. If you guys have testimonies of that, you go ahead and tell that. 
But again, we see we don't have to be humanly strong to win. That second point, we don't need to be humanly strong to win. And then by the time we get to verse 17, the dragon is so pissed off because he cannot win. He can't devour the child. He can't devour the woman and he can't even drown her. I mean, does anyone feel like there are evil forces enraged with them? I really feel it some days. I really feel it. (sighs) Following Jesus is not signing up for escapism from reality. It's actually signing up for reality revealed and being totally unafraid. We're not even signing up for religion. We're not signing up for following rules. Rules do not get us into the relationship with the one who's strong, who saves us. We, the woman, the church, are in a relationship, and we are not the strong ones. We are the vulnerable one. So when I was young, I was jealous of guys, boys, men. You have a physical strength that I really, really wanted. And I was pitted against guys in running races, in an obstacle course, in fitness training, in the military. And I was never able to be the top strongest, fastest person. And that frustrated me. But I was not thinking the way that God thinks. God knows human strength does not win the war. Human strength does not win. We, the church, are as vulnerable against evil and persecution as the woman giving birth in front of a dragon. But we choose to be occupied with the giving birth, not with defending ourselves. What human strength we do have is for the giving birth. And then God provides the escape from the deceit, from the sin, from the persecution. He gives the woman provision when we feel like we're in the wilderness. That's where she is, in the wilderness, and he's feeding her. He makes creation itself help her. How beloved is this woman? Oh, she's so loved. Who's willing to identify with this vulnerable but beloved woman? This is a good place to be. In giving this vision to John, Jesus acknowledges the perseverance needed to bring new believers to him, to birth this new life. It takes perseverance. It takes grit. It really does. In your life groups this week, go ahead and talk about what does it take to birth new life in the church. You guys all have experience and perspectives that are really valuable to that conversation what does it look like for this new birth to happen and even as we realize this is our focus is the new birth we realize are we in danger yeah the dragon's after us and we often act and think and speak in danger mode like ah the dragon's after us but what does it look like to walk around in life and the dragon's right in our faces But we sit down at the provision, at the feast, the table prepared for us in front of our enemies. That's what we're called to. So we are not supposed to be humanly strong to win. This is our call. Birthing new life, new people coming to know Jesus. This is the focus of the church. 
and we were supposed to hear Revelation 12 to be encouraged, to have courage put into us. You have the courage to give birth. This is what you are to receive. And in order to get there, we saw this confession of sin, giving, being given escape from the dragon, being given wings of an eagle to fly away from temptation to sin, and receiving the love of our Father God as we're out in the wilderness. Who wants this unconventional way of winning against the dragon? Yeah, winning does not look the way you'd think, but it is so worth it to be here. We win. You win. So let me pray as the uh, worship team comes back up. Father God, I thank you for speaking words into our lives that are intended to give us courage. You want to put courage into us and then send us out into the world to give birth. We identify this woman who feels with this woman who feels vulnerable and we receive what you do, Father God, instead. Jesus, we need your salvation and strength and kingdom and power, and we receive that in our midst. Jesus, you're the first of all that's being born, the first of the new life, the resurrection. Bring us into that. Gather us in and then show us how to reach out and be part of the new birth that's happening in other people's lives. Make us focus on that. Father God, I ask you in Jesus' name to fill, inhabit our worship. And Holy Spirit, you bring into each of our lives what this means for us, individually, in our families, and in the church as a whole. In Jesus' name, amen.